Happy Saturday. Welcome to More Than Money. This is your host, Alyssa Young. This morning I am flying solo. Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for you. I'm guessing you're going to miss Jean. Uh, I'll try to make these next two hours uh, just as exciting for you as they always are. So Forever Young's a good way to start. It's um, temperature is great. The skies are gray. It was very dark this morning when I woke up. It's getting dark way too early every night. I was out for a run after work yesterday, and I was on a trail in the woods, and um, it got dark sooner than I expected. So lots of um, changes here happening. Before we know it, it'll be cold. I'm actually struggling with this change in the weather because in the mornings when I leave for work, it's chilly, and I put a coat on, and then I hang my jacket in the closet, and then I forget to bring it home with me. So yesterday I had two jackets in the closet at work <laughs> to bring home because when I leave it's nice out and then I forget that I wore one. So getting used to it. Um, you know what this is all about, I'm sure. Um, more than money, we're here to talk about lots of stuff. So the best part of the show is when you call or send me an email with your question. Um, the phone number where you can participate in this show is 610-720-7900. You can send me an email, Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, at askmtm.com. Um, you can listen on the radio or you can listen on iHeartMedia. That will bring you our show streaming live, static-free, um, anywhere anywhere you are. You can tune in there online and, and listen. So be, be sure to share uh, the link with um, people you care about. You can find it very easily when you go to our website, morethanmoneyonline.com. Um, when the show is airing, there's a red button that pops up magically in the middle of the page. And uh, you click on that to listen now, and there we are. So whether you are out and about or home or at work or driving, um, you can hear uh, hopefully some interesting information, some uh, questions from people like you, and um, you know we'd be happy to have you join us. So we'll talk about whatever's on your mind when it comes to financial related topics. We like to discuss investments, uh, retirement strategy, retirement income, social security, Medicare, estate planning, taxes, uh, insurance, you name it, um, we will run the gamut of topics here. And I have some um, special treats in store for you today. Um, and I can't wait to hear what music John picks for this special occasion. You know, when Gene's not here, he's probably going to go wild. So we'll see what happens. Um, I also will tell you that if you miss any part of this show or you hear something on the show today that you think someone else would like to hear, maybe they weren't tuned in. You can listen to the full show uh, on our website and in whatever podcast app you use. So um, John sends us the recordings um, after the show's over, and they are available on morethanmoneyonline.com, usually around Monday um, at lunchtime. So you can catch up on it there. And that's also where you can listen to our past shows. Um, there's descriptors and titles there, so you can uh, see what topics we cover, if there's something in particular you're looking for. Um, and you can, you know, get kind of uh, fully uh, caught, caught up and um, educated. So check that out and share it with, with folks that you think it would benefit. Um, 
speaking of that, I always get surprised how many people and which people listen to the show. So it's I feel like every week I'm learning about someone new who they say, oh, I listen to your radio show. And last night was a, a particular surprise. We were at the uh, football game, um, Bethlehem Catholic at Nazareth. And my daughter is a freshman at Nazareth High School, and she is a regular in the student section now. And after uh, the game, or when she when we left the game, she came down out of the stands and she said to me, one of her friends, a freshman at Nazareth High School, listens to this show. So I want to give a shout out to downtown Luca Brown. That's his nickname at school. And thank Luca for listening. Luca's parents actually were classmates of mine and my husband's all through school. Uh, We are Nazareth alum as well. And I just was surprised to hear about a 14-year-old who tunes into this show every week. So you never know who's listening. Um, I appreciate it. So Luca, I hope you find this show uh, entertaining. And thank you so much. Um, So I have some news, some um, kind of housekeeping items we can catch up on first. Um, My email newsletter, which we call Let's Stay in Sync, was deployed on Tuesday. If you didn't get it, um, or you because you're not on the list, email me and we'll get you added to the subscriber list. Um, Print editions I don't think were mailed out yet. I'm not sure. Megan might have mailed them out this week, but if you're expecting one in the mail, keep an eye out if you didn't already receive one. And again, if you want to receive it by mail, we can also do that. So um, email me with your mailing address if you need to get a print copy. So I I covered a bunch of topics in that email. Some of them might be more relevant to you than others, but we covered... um, 529 plan rule changes. I talked a lot about saving, uh, strategies for saving money. Um, I talked about insurance coverage. How can you uh, calculate how much insurance, life insurance you you might need? So if you're kind of wondering where to begin with that is do I have enough um, life insurance? Hopefully you'll find that little blurb helpful. So um Look for that. Um, you can actually um, usually find it on our website, too. So I'm not sure, like I said, if all those steps were completed quite yet. But keep an eye out for that. It's called Let's Stay in Sync. And um, I'd be happy to share that with you. Uh, we have talked about uh, the last couple of weeks a workshop that I am hosting with our estate planning attorney partner. His name is Keith Stroll. He works at the firm Steckel and Stop. Uh, Keith is the one who offers free consultations at More Than Money um, headquarters uh, twice a month. And Keith and I are putting on a workshop called When a Loved One Dies. And our goal with that workshop is to help you learn some uh, tips and strategies about like how you can make it easier, you know, handling an estate um, and also to make it prepare in advance. So, you know, if you have a loved one who's ill or up in age and you know you're going to need to handle things for them so it, it's going we're going to give you some advice about things you can gather up and ask questions about while that person's still here to help you um and then also to do the same thing to prepare your loved ones so that if and you know when it's your time to go whether it's sooner than you expect or or later um that they're prepared so they're not scrambling and scraping together stuff so we we um just want to make things easier on, on you because when you lose a loved one obviously Obviously, the grieving process is enough to handle. And then when you add in um, the stress and frustration of the uh, business of death, it's 
It's really tough. So we sold out, if you will. It's a free workshop, but we reached our capacity for both sessions within one week, which I was thrilled with that kind of response. I'm so glad so many people are interested and are taking advantage of this. Uh, at the same time, I feel sad that we can't accommodate everyone. The room is only so big, um, but we are accepting signups on a waiting list. So two things. One, if you signed up and you can't come, please tell us. So send us an email or call and say something came up. I'm not going to be there because if your seat is freed up, we can make room for someone else who's on our waiting list who wanted to be there and, and, and didn't make it. Um, and then if you didn't get registered in time, send uh, fill, fill out the form on our website. It's on morethanmoneyonline.com. There's a link at the top. And we'll put your name on the waiting list and um, either contact you if you are um, able to join us October 30th or um, we'll we'll put together a second um installment of this to 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 provide it for people who didn't make it the first time and when we do that when we pick a date for uh, round two we'll advertise that as well so people can sign up specifically to come on that day if you don't want to just be put on the waiting list now so um let us know if you're interested let us know if you can't come um i was at the venue yesterday we're having this at the palmer branch of the eastern area public library there's a community room in that building um I was there yesterday to test out the technology, just to make sure the projector works and all that good stuff. So um, they're very nice, accommodating people, um, lots of chairs. There's bathrooms right down the hall. Uh, it, it should work out very well. You will receive an email this week if you are registered that will have the address again and um, a couple other details. And also a helpful piece of information. We're going to be sending you a document that will help you with your estate planning. So if you're one of the registrants, look for that email because you're going to want that attachment to help you. And we'll talk about that attachment um, during the workshop. So this is actually an installment of my quarterly event series, Invest in You. Uh, I started that, I don't know, I guess it's been two years ago. Um, and the, the whole point of Invest in You really was to get women in the Lehigh Valley together. And um, this event, of course, is open to everyone. And the last event we, we did was open to everyone. We're going back to the ladies only exclusive next time. Um, so at the before the end of the year, we will be having another Invest in You event. And it's going to be um, another shoebox packing party for Holiday Hope Chest. So we've done this twice before the last two years at the end of November, beginning of December. Um, we've gotten together with donations of um, toys and goodies and stuff to to pack up into shoeboxes to give underprivileged children in the Lehigh Valley. So we're doing this event to support the Holiday Hope Chest effort, which is run by the Volunteer Center of the Lehigh Valley. Last year, our wonderful ladies are so generous. We we gathered up 81 gifts that we delivered to the Volunteer Center of the Lehigh Valley to be distributed around um, the area. So this year, uh, I was actually on a Zoom meeting this week. They're doing things a little bit differently, and we're going to get to actually choose a nonprofit to specifically support. So nonprofits are going to kind of have like a wish list of children they want um, to provide gifts for. And so that way we'll have a list of, you know, we need four gifts for girls who are ages four to six, and we need 
um, five for boys who are 10 to 12, just so it'll be more specific. And um, they'll have a, a set number of gifts that they need, and we'll be able to sign up and say um, that we're going to provide those gifts for that particular organization and deliver them directly to the organization. So that's cool. So I will get the information about the, those options uh, Monday. And we'll be able to pick our organization and how many boxes we're pledging to provide. And then um, the delivery date window will be available for that particular organization. So once we know all of that, uh, we'll start to advertise our goal and um, our event when we'll get together with the donations and pack them up. And we usually provide a meal uh, for the people who come for that, catered by the Daily Grind and Bath. So I'm looking forward to it. We always have fun. And I'm always impressed by all the great stuff people bring for these gifts. I would like to do somewhat of an informal poll. So um, ladies who are listening who might be interested in doing that, whether you've done it before or not, um, tell me if, if you don't mind. You can send me an email. Would you prefer to do this on a weeknight evening like we have in the past or on a weekend afternoon? So... Um, before I pick the date, I'm curious how it would go. We've had a great turnout the last two years, but I'm curious what, if you would prefer to do it on a weekend, like a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon. Um, in the past, we've, the last two times it was on an evening. And I just the reason I ask is I know some people have said they would like to participate but don't drive at night. So um, this is just another way maybe we can get others involved who haven't had a chance to participate in the past. But weekends can be busy. We are kind of in between sports seasons, so maybe freed up a little bit from your kids' sporting events. So let me know what you prefer, a week a weeknight or a weekend. And um, we'll start putting the, together the details of that event. So start gathering up your supplies. Um, save shoe boxes If you have empty shoe boxes, we can use. Even if you don't come to the event, um, you can drop them off at MTM. Um, we're on Hanoverville Road in Lower Nazareth Township. If you're not familiar where we are, we'll, we'll gladly accept donations of empty shoe boxes, wrapping paper, and the gifts that go inside those boxes. It can be all kinds of stuff. So you think about card games, um, model magic, crayons, um, little, you know, crafts, little like matchbox cars, uh, hair scrunchies, nail files, like all kinds of things. And the uh, Volunteer Center of Lehigh Valley puts a suggested suggested list of items on their website. So if you want to provide something that we can use to pack up into those boxes, we would be very grateful for your support. So any questions or ideas about that, you can email me. Um, and also email me if you have a question to address on today's show. So our phone number is 610-720-7900. And my email address is Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, at askmtm.com. So I would love to hear from you. Um, we do have another a, a special treat for you or later on in the show. So at the top of the 9 o'clock segment, my coworker, senior financial advisor, Mark Belsack, will be calling in um, to talk with us about the value of a financial advisor. So we, we want to share some cool facts uh, that we learned, read about in a piece that came out this week um, that was done by Russell Investments. We thought it was really well done and interesting. So we're going to discuss with you the things that their study found um, bring the most value when you have a financial advisor. So tune in for that around 9 o'clock. Uh, Mark will call and we'll have a chat. Okay. Um, so let's see. I've got some 
news for you, but I actually want to start off with something kind of fun. So, um, as you know, I'm a runner. I run, I don't know, like 35 to 40 miles a week on a normal basis. And when I can't run outside, I run on the treadmill. So if it's dark or cold or raining, not, well, not just cold, but like freezing cold or icy or, or raining, I, that's when I'm stuck on the treadmill. And um, I'd much rather run outside. I listen to podcasts or music or audiobooks and I like to pick different routes to mix it up but when I'm stuck on the treadmill I watch tv um, I have a tablet and I use my earbuds and um, I'll watch a show or uh, a movie so right now I'm in the series The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel it's on Amazon Prime I'm about halfway through or maybe close to finishing season three and yes no um, Thursday night it was pretty late when I got on the treadmill and I was watching um, episode seven of season three. And there was a scene that was so great. It was related to retirement planning. <laughs> and I thought, oh, man, I would lo- I wish I could play this for you. Uh, and I'm going to just share with you this little brief um, p- bit in this show. So if you can picture this is set in like 1960 or somewhere around there. And um there's a the family sitting around the the dining room table, and Mrs. Maisel is a woman who's probably in her I don't know how old she is late twenties thirty. Um, she's a divorced mom of two, and she's at the table with her former mother and father in law, and her parents because they're living with her in laws at the time. Um, and her her dad, his name is Abe Wiseman, and he says, "I just completed." my Abe and Rose end of days calculations. And the daughter's like, what does that mean? That sounds dreadful. And he said, well, I've added up our projected pension and social security payments. I matched them up to our expenses, adjusted for inflation, and calculated the number of years your mother and I get to live. And she's like, what? And he says, for me, it's the age of 67. And Mrs. Maisel goes, but you're 62. And he says, I have to die in five years. And then the wife, Rose, goes, I get to live until I'm 69, assuming I don't get hit by a bus. And then her husband says, now, obviously, if I die early, say at age 65, those two years get added to your mother's. And then Rose goes, so I get to live until I'm 71. (laughs) And then he goes, either which way, I need to be dead by 1965. (laughs) And I was like, well, there is an example of how we don't want to do retirement planning. Um, You don't get to look at your money and say, oh, I only have enough to live five more years. That's all I've got. Um, We don't pick when our last day here is, but we can pick how we um, handle our finances so that there's money there as long as we live. Um, That's the whole goal. We say we don't want you to outlive your money. Well, Abe and Rose thought that meant that they only get to live for as long as their money will last and then they have to kick the bucket. So it was a very um, cute little blurb and it just uh, made me think of what we do and how we do not have retirement planning discussions. Fortunately for you, that would be terrible if you came in for a second opinion meeting and I was like, yeah, you have six years left. You're going to have to figure out a way to, uh, you know, leave this earth in six years. I would be very sad. I would have people leaving crying and I don't like that. I'd rather we we laugh while you're with me um, at MTM. So let's see. I have a piece of news for you. Um, Last week, actually, we learned what the Social Security cost of living adjustment will be for 2024. 
Um, so if you haven't already heard, next year's cost of living uh, increase to your Social Security benefits will be 3.2%. So this year, 2023, it went up 8.7%. That was a record. The average COLA, is what they call it, cost of living adjustment COLA, not Coca-Cola, um, the, over the last 20 years, the average has been 2.6%. So this year's 3.2, or I should say next year's 3.2, is higher than average, but just a lot lower than what um, everyone received for this year. So what this means is when you're looking at your Social Security benefit, either what you receive already, or if you are planning on starting your benefit next year and you're looking at the numbers on your benefit statement or you go on your Social Security Administration account and you're looking at your numbers, um, if you're going to start your benefit next year, you can add 3.2% to the number and that would be the actual amount that Social Security will pay you. Um, it's calculated annually based on inflation and they use a particular index the cpi consumer price index for urban wage earners and clerical workers that's the version of cpi that they use to calculate the social security adjustment and there is some complaint about that because people some people say that that particular cpi urban wage earners and clerical workers doesn't really take into account the costs for a retired household, like medical costs. There is a CPI for elderly. And a lot of people say, why don't you use a CPI for elderly to determine what the COLA is? It may make more sense. So um, if you feel strongly about that, maybe talk to your representatives. Um, but 3.2% is your magic number for 2024. Um It'll maybe get you another, I don't know, loaf of bread. Not a huge difference, but at least it's an upward adjustment. Um, and one other sort of related um, uh, piece of news, it is Medicare open enrollment season through December 7th. So that means now is the time when you can join, switch, or drop a Medicare Advantage plan. One of the things you should definitely do if you have a drug plan, uh, Advantage, whether it's through an Advantage plan or... Um, a Part D drug plan, check your drug coverage. So go online, sign into your account, create one if you don't have one, put in your drugs and compare the cost between different plans because your plan might change which drugs it's going to cover, which ways next year or what they'll charge you for your drugs. So you should shop around a little bit and make sure that you're getting you know, the best prices um, that you can for the medicines that you need. So do that before December 7th so you can make a change that would be effective in 2024. All right, we're going going into our first break. You can be the icebreaker call if you call me at 610-720-7900 or send me an email if you would like to um, ask a question I can address when we come back right after this.
When you're alone and life is making you lonely, you can always go downtown. When you've got worries, all the noise and the hurry seems to help, I know. Downtown, just listen to the music. Ah, uh, yes, that's for downtown Luca Brown. <laughs> Thank you, John. Welcome back to More the Money. Downtown Luca Brown is um, a, a freshman at Nazareth Area High School who is a loyal listener to our show. So we wanted to give him a shout out this morning. And what better way than with a song? <laughs> uh, this is your host, Alyssa Young. I am on my own today. Um, Gene is doing some important things with his family. I am glad to be able to help out so he can do that. And I hope that you don't mind too much that you have to listen to me. All by myself. Actually, I won't be all by myself for the whole show because my wonderful colleague, Mark Belsack, is going to call at a little after nine and we're going to have a chat. So um, Mark is brilliant. You will um, love to hear his take on things. Um, We're going to talk specifically about the value of having a financial advisor. Um, We talk we hear from a lot of folks you know, who call in or email or come to our office and they do things on their own. And God bless them. If if you're comfortable doing that and uh, you're capable, um, that's great. It's not for everyone to handle their finances and their investments on their own. And we'll talk a little bit about ways that it helps you and can improve the performance of your portfolio if you have a financial advisor. If you're a loyal listener to this show, you know that um, – most of the value that we feel we bring is not about choosing investments, but more about strategies. There's so there are so many circumstances, and that's what's so interesting about the calls and the emails we get. Everyone's particular nuances about what they're dealing with in their life, and you know the questions that they have, um, really makes this um, in, in, interesting, educational, and, and challenging. So, uh, and I'll. Oh, I have some emails we can answer here, um, some stuff that's come in over the last couple of weeks that we didn't get to yet on the show. So I'll, I'll dive into that shortly. But um, first, last week I mentioned that I had been um, encountering a lot of unique opportunities and situations in the meetings I've been having with clients or prospective new clients, people who've come in and, you know, are looking at whether or not I can help them. And I thought I would share a couple of examples with with you today because I found them to be pretty cool. And I get excited about the opportunity to help with these specific things. Um, it's just, you know, more, um, more fun when it's something different and uh, specific. So, I'm going to share with you three examples right now of some client situations when I was able to help them strategize. And uh, my my reason for doing this is really maybe it will kind of light um, light, light up a, a light bulb in your head about, oh, you know, I didn't think about that. That might be an opportunity that I have or a question I have or my daughter or my father or whatever. Um there, there's a lot of things out there that maybe people don't realize that there are opportunities to take advantage of. So my first one, uh, one of my clients is a married couple. They're in their early 40s and they have three kids. Um, the question, one of the, the things we tackled in our last client review meeting on Zoom was the fact that the the husband's income for 2023 is going to be right up against the income limit that makes you eligible to make contributions to Roth IRAs. 
And that number is when you have a modified adjusted gross income of $218,000 or more, you're not eligible to make Roth IRA contributions. It, at that number, it starts to phase out to to reduce, and then 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 you can't make them at all. And they this couple already made their Roth IRA contributions this year based on earlier projections of how much money he would make. So what's interesting is he will have a bonus that he'll get in the beginning of November, like the second week in November, and that amount is to be determined, and it's partly related to company performance. So, you know, he had an initial number in mind when we first calculated whether or not it was safe to make Roth IRA contributions. And then um, by the time we had our last review meeting, he said, well, you know, we were beating our goals, so I think the bonus is going to be more. And he also will have restricted stock units that will vest in December, and the value of those is to be determined as well, the stock price, the company's stock price. So there's a couple factors where he doesn't know exactly what his total income is going to be for the year, and it looks like it'd be very close to that number. And he didn't want to have to take out um, the, the Roth IRA contributions that he already put in. So that, that is a solution. If we need to, you can withdraw those excess contributions. Another solution is that you can recharacterize them um, and put them into a traditional um, IRA, even though they wouldn't be deductible from your taxes. So we would like to avoid that. So what we talked about in our meeting was increasing his 401k contributions this year to offset that income number to bring it down below that limit so that he can still keep the Roth IRA contributions in place. Um, and so that's the plan. Uh, and it was good we talked about it when we did because he can put that change into effect and then have, a, I think he had four more paychecks um, and it should be effect that change would be effective for by the end of the year where if he adds more to his 401k, um, his income, taxable income will come down. Um, so that's what we talked about doing. That's the plan for now. And um, when we know the bonus and when we know the value of the restricted stock units, we'll be able to adjust further. But it was a conversation we had about, OK, what are we going to do um, here? So um, that's just something I thought I was, you know, I'm glad to be able to kind of help as a team mate of theirs and say, OK, what, what's the plan? Um, and if you're wondering, you know, what are the Roth IRA contribution limits? So I just explained that if you make too much money, you're not allowed to contribute to a Roth. If you're under that 218000 for this year, 2023, the limit is $6,500 if you're under the age of 50. And if you're over the age of 50, it's $7,500. Um, you have to have earnings of at least that much to be able to make the contribution. If you uh, if you're in a married a married couple and one of the spouses works and the other one doesn't, you can also make that same contribution to a spousal IRA um, on behalf of your spouse, even if your spouse doesn't have a job. So that's what this couple does. The husband works, the wife stays home, and with the with the kids and. Um, he made contributions to his and to hers based on his income. And you have until the tax filing deadline to make the 2023 contribution. So if you're not sure yet how much extra money you have to spare that you can put away in the Roth IRA, you don't have to do it by December 31st. You can do it up until you know, April 15th. So $6,500 for this year or $7,500 with the catch-up contribution. And we'll see. I don't know if those numbers will increase for 2024 or not. In 2023, they went up $500. So 
last year it was 6,000 and 7,000. Um, anyway, so that's one example of, of a strategy that I worked with a client to, to help them that's not related to how their IRAs are invested or their brokerage accounts. Um, so I'm going to stop there. I have a couple more of those strategies to share with you, but we have a call and the phone calls always come first. So I'm going to um, ask John to patch in Gary Bender. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Alyssa. You're doing a great job without jeans. Oh, thank you. <laughs> we all know that, so good job. Thanks. Uh, I wanted to, to, first of all, thank your staff. Last week I called. I heard about a uh, tax credit that homeowners could enjoy from the Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. It's usually just billions and billions of dollars for big companies. But it's pertinent for me and maybe others. If you're, in my situation, upgrading insulation and storm windows, there's a 30% credit for the first $4,000 you spend this year. And so I'm splitting my project between this year and next year. So I get up to $1,200 per year as a credit. Nice. And then then there's a separate category if you're replacing things like heat pumps and devices, which I'm not doing, but that's an additional separate credit. So you can do the insulation credit or the window credit, door credit, or you can do the equipment credit, or you can do both. Excellent. And uh, somebody in the tax department there sent out a link, and I'd suggest you put that link up on your website or in your newsletter because it was really useful and understandable. Ah, very good. Was it written in IRS language? (laughs) The second point, I'm a volunteer with Folds of Honor for Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and we want to thank you for all the – the the generosity of your listeners uh, from the uh, September 11th Radiothon week. So it, it, fantastic. And uh, just, just another plug for Folds of Honor, we have a, a clay shoot on November 11th. If people are into target shooting, that information's on the Eastern PA New Jersey Folds of Honor website. And it's fourth quarter giving. So if you want to remember how to provide scholarships for our veterans and first responder families, uh, we, we appreciate that because the demand is there, unfortunately. Yes. So I just wanted to share that and remind your listeners of those two items. Thank you so much, Gary. We appreciate it. And thanks for um, your support of uh, Folds of Honor as well. Um, yes, we are very blessed to have such generous listeners. They um, you know, always um, step up to, to support the cause. And so the, his, Gary's point's a good one. We did a tremendous thing with the Radiothon, but there's still are opportunities to give and um, still more need. So if um, you're looking for a way to make a, a difference, um, that Folds of Honor is always there for you. And there's always always families who, who need your help. So thank you for calling, Gary. Um, yeah, that tax credit um, is interesting. I know one of my clients last year, I think, did... Um, some window replacements and like a, a door and used energy efficient um, windows and doors. And um, I think he got like a $500 credit last year. Um, so definitely worth looking into when they ask you if you have made any of those uh, enhancements to your home. Um, it takes a little extra time, but hey, it's worth it for the for the savings. So keep your keep your receipts keep notes and um, at tax time if you need some help our we have a wonderful tax department at MTM and they can um, assist you with your return if it gets a little too complicated so um, I was talking about some different strategies that I'm helping uh, clients with 
And um, here's another example. This one I got pretty excited about, too. So one of my clients, um, their daughter's boyfriend came to meet with me. And this was great because I found out that the daughter said to her boyfriend, hey, my par- you should talk to my parents' financial advisor. Um, I know that they're they're happy with where, where they where they go for their for the support, and um, I think that they could help you. So he called, made an appointment, and came in. And this is a very cool opportunity. This is a young man who was in the military, and then he went back to school when he was uh, fin- finished his military service. And he's a student. He's been a student now for a while. He's finishing his master's degree at the end of this year. So he only has like $2,000 of taxable income. And he just inherited a sizable IRA from his uncle. And he'll be job hunting in January. Plan is to get a job for next year. But here we have a couple months left in 2023 when he only has $2,000 of taxable income and a big IRA he's inheriting. Now, we've talked over the, on this show many times about the rules for inherited IRAs. He will need to take all the money out of the inherited IRA within 10 years. And the money that comes out of the inherited IRA will be taxed as income. And he's not married right now, so that makes him a single tax filer, which those tax brackets are a little steeper. Uh, I said, wow, we have an opportunity here to make some plans and Take out a larger distribution this year while your tax bracket will be very low and pay much less tax on a big chunk of that distribution than if you wait and just take a little bit out this year and a little bit out next year or, you know, have to spread it out over 10 years after you're working and you're in a higher tax bracket. So uh, we are planning to maximize his distribution before the end of the year at the lowest possible tax rate. And then reinvest the money in a brokerage account so he can use it to make a down payment on a house. Um, he and his girlfriend are renting now. And he knows he buying a house is one of his short to midterm goals. And he did not expect such a generous inheritance from his uncle. So it was a very nice gift. And now we can use it in the best way possible. Um, so save some money on taxes and put it into... Um, some investments that he can have some safe um, safety and some growth and, and use that money to better his future and get him established now as he begins his kind of second career. So um, that was another example where, you know, in his, a lot of times we talk about how like no decisions need to be rushed and, you know, you should be mindful of these things. And um, I'm not saying this is a rush, but this is um, a situation where we have to be sensitive of the time. It's it's the middle of October, so practically late October now. And, um, you know, the tax year ends on December 31st. So we're going to get things moving here in a timely fashion so he can take advantage of this opportunity that, you know, might not come back again um, in the next 10 years that he has to uh, um, empty that inherited IRA. So that was a, a cool one. Um, and then this... Last example, uh, and I have three more strategies I'll share with you later, um, might not be earth-shattering, but it's just an example. So I, I one of my clients is a retired woman who um, she covers her bills with um, her Social Security and a single premium immediate annuity. When she retired, she split her 401k into two pieces. 
One was this annuity that pays her guaranteed lifetime income. And we came up with the amount that she was going to put into that annuity to to make it sure that it was the amount that she needs to base, cover her basic expenses when combined with her Social Security. So that was an intentional plan. And she put the other half of the 401k into a rollover IRA. And then 2022 happened. So the IRA lost some value and inflation went through the roof and everything is getting a little more expensive. So she's not at RMD age yet. She doesn't want to be taking money out of the IRA while it's depreciated. She doesn't really need to. But she said to me last time we met, cash is a little tight in some months, especially because everything costs more now. And she said, you know, is there a way I can use this account to help, be, you know, just make things a little easier, a little more comfortable for me, just have a little extra coming into my bank? And she said, because she said, otherwise, I'm just going to leave it all to my son. Um, so, you know, how should I be using this? So what we did for now, uh, and this is, you know, again, things can evolve and change. Um, what we did for now was I turned off the dividend and interest reinvestment on the funds in her account and set up an income plan that will deposit accumulated cash into that in her IRA into her bank every month. So it's not going to be a consistent amount because dividends and interest will vary from month to month. For example, just one obvious example, we have some funds in the account that pay quarterly dividends. So when there's a quarterly dividend, that month the distribution will be higher because there was going to be some cash in there that doesn't come every single month. It only comes every three months. Um, but it will give her a little more in the bank, that, and it doesn't require selling assets that are de- depreciated. It doesn't deplete the principal. It's just a way for her to use the investments in the account to get a little extra. So it goes directly into her bank and it might be $100, it might be $300, but that's all she's really looking for right now. And I said, you know, we'll see how this works. If it's enough, great. If it's not, we'll come up with a better plan. Um, part of this strategy involves, there's a, uh, an investment in her account that is uh, has a one-year defined outcome period. It, it's an uh, investment that has downside protection and it's really a growth-oriented investment. Um, so my plan is when it reaches the end of its outcome period um, next week, um, I will transition it into a similar product that has downside protection but actually generates monthly income instead. So then that can supplement um, what the other investments are doing and adding some some cash into the account for her. So um, that's another example I just wanted to provide in case that helps you. It gives you an idea, um, something that... Um, you might need or want to do in your um, retirement plans. Uh, I mentioned earlier uh, the cost of living adjustment for Social Security for 2024 will be 3.2. And the article that um, I read told me that last year's increase of 8.7% was a record. One of our loyal listeners is telling me that he sent me a link here, the history of Social Security COLAs. Um, the 8.7 was not, um, the record. It was, um, 14.3% back in like 1980. <laughs> so that's a big jump. Uh, so yeah, this article had, a you know, um, some bad information in it. I want to thank you, um, loyal listener for that correction. Um, it's been, it's the largest it's been in a long time. Um, and 3.2 is still higher than the average, but not near those record-setting numbers. 
Um, so let's see what else I've got for you. Let's read an email. I have a stack of emailed questions. And you can send me one um, now, and I'll answer it while we're live here on the show. My email is Alyssa, A-L-Y-S-S-A, at askmtm.com. Or you can call um, 610-720-7900. All right, so this one says, hi, Jean. Sorry, you get Alyssa. I'm hoping you can guide us in the best way to handle our estate being a blended family. My husband and I are both retired and have been married for 24 years. We live in Pennsylvania. We each have adult children and are unsure of the best way to deal with setting up our estate. Between us, we own three homes, our jointly titled residence in which we live, and we each have a rental property individually titled. Our wishes are that we would want to leave our individual titled rental properties to our individual children and are unsure if it would be better to put their names on the titles to the rental properties to do that or to put the property into a trust, which would be the better tax advantage. The other issue is that our jointly titled property, we understand whichever of us would pass away first, the other inherits. However, it's our largest asset, and we would like to have the children each receive some of the benefit of it. What would be the best way to set it up so that in the event that we were to pass away together, say in a car accident, how should the jointly titled property be titled, or should that be set up in a trust? We know we should find an estate planning attorney to handle this for us, but we would like your insight as to what the path should be to have the best financial outcome for our children. Thank you so much for your time and the show. It's a pleasure to watch. So this is a viewer of uh, Jean's PBS show. Okay, so there's a lot of stuff there, and this is interesting. A lot of people ask about um, whether they should put their kids on the titles of their properties or not. Um, Regarding these rental properties particularly we'll start with that um if they want the kids to get those when they pass the best tax strategy and so what she's asking is you know financial would be for the kids to inherit them when they die rather than giving them ownership now um that's because if they inherit them they get a stepped up cost basis so that if and when they sell the properties they'll pay less capital gains tax if they own them now if they're gifted them now they get the original cost basis, um, and that could mean a much larger capital gain when selling these properties, and so that's going to cost them more in taxes. This is, of course, assuming that the properties have appreciated or will appreciate in value since the time they bought them. Um, Let's see. And, of course, you know, there's specifics we'd have to meet to talk about. They don't need to put the homes into a trust to accomplish that, Um, the will, their will will dictate who gets the property when they die. And then, of course, if their rentals are outside Pennsylvania, this email says they live in Pennsylvania. If they're outside of Pennsylvania, um, then there are some benefits to putting them into a trust. And then similarly, for their jointly owned home, uh, the children would owe less tax if they inherit it, again, because of the stepped-up cost basis. But um, because it is a blended family, sometimes a trust might actually be advisable just to ensure that they are splitting up, you know, their assets equally the way they want. So this would be a case with a blended family, a good idea to talk to an estate planning attorney and get really detailed about the specifics because um, 
uh, trusts aren't for everyone. Most people don't need them, but this isn't a case where maybe this is a case where maybe they would. So um, the the big kind of theme there is inheriting rather than gifting or joint ownership now is going to save them um, tax wise. So don't jump to that you know uh, assumption that you should put their name on the title now. Um, okay, so we're going into our next break. We have a call on the line we'll get to when we come back. And then also when we come back, Mark Belsack is going to join me. And we're going to talk about an interesting study that talks about the value of having a financial advisor. Ways that we can help you that you might not realize. So just some cool things to think about. So thank you for listening. Please stick around for our, our phone call on hold and my conversation with Mark right after this. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. This is More Than Money. I am your host, Alyssa Young. Um, This is our second hour. If you missed the first hour, um, please catch up on the show online next week on morethanmoneyonline.com or in the podcast app. You can um, catch up on some strategies. I answered a question or two. uh, Talked about um, a couple other housekeeping items, which I will recap in a little bit. But first, we have um, Will on the phone. I want to thank Will for holding through the break. Good morning, sir. Hi, how are you? Great. How about you? Uh, Good this morning. How can Uh, I help you? My question is my mom's... uh, 87 and she's not going to be driving her car anymore and i just wanted to know the tax uh, implications for myself and her if she if i should transfer the title and i have a power of attorney if i should transfer the title into my name or um and then sell the car or just sell it from her directly to someone ah um i'm going to are, are you working will now retired. Okay. Um, so it, it might make sense to kind of compare as far as income tax bracket goes. Is mom in a lower tax bracket than you are? Um, yes. Okay. So it would probably make more sense for her to sell it than for you. Um, and I think if, if she's going to sell it or transfer the title to you um, or to a new buyer, it's probably the same amount of work for her anyway if she needs to sell a sign you know, a, a title or go to the title transfer place. So you might as well just have her sell it directly to someone else, um, make it easier, one-step process. I'll um, admit I don't have a whole lot of experience 
my personally with selling cars privately. Um, I've traded in my cars, so uh, not something I handle a lot, but my uh, gut would be um, that you shouldn't have to take that intermediary step and um, just having mom sell it directly. Uh, probably, and you can, of course, be there to assist, but that probably makes the most sense. Okay, the other thing was, uh, what if she gifted it to me? Um, so she gifted it to you to for you to then sell? Well, to either sell or not sell. Oh, well, um, if you, I mean, there's there's nothing wrong with that strategy, I guess. Um, cars don't appreciate in value. I'm assuming that's not the kind of car that you're going to have some kind of capital gain on it, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's probably worth nine thousand dollars. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, she she certainly can gift gift you the car. Um, it would be within the annual gift tax exclusion, so there would be nothing to worry about there. Um, she may just have to. Um, yeah, she wouldn't even have to report it on her um tax return because it's less than the seventeen thousand dollar annual gift tax exclusion. So. Okay. Yeah, that would be then, easy peasy. Then there's no tax ramification for myself either, right? No, not not as a recipient of a gift, no. Okay, thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for calling, Will. All right, so as I promised, um, it's time for our discussion with Mark Belsack. Mark is a senior financial advisor at MTM Financial Group. We sit side by side and um, work together with our team of advisors to help all of you wonderful people. So um, I really appreciate Mark's experience. Um, he brings a lot to our team and and as a result to all of our clients. So um, I think you're going to find um, his uh, perspectives quite interesting. So let's, um, let's bring Mark onto the show and we'll um, share some cool information with you. Good morning, Mark. Good morning. How are you? I'm great now. Thanks for joining me. I was lonely. Oh, that's too bad. Well, you got John there. Yes, so. yes, John. John's that's, not that's talking to me though. <laughs> he's just—he's showing you up signs like uh, hand signals, you know, little visuals, hand signals. Yeah. yeah the, the, the sitting next to me thing—I still—I still wonder to this day if that's a, a good thing for you. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> for anyone who's been to the office, you, you know that I've got a lot of plants, and I think that uh, Alyssa wants me to have some real. Real tall plants on the, the half wall in between us to kind of well, create a, a greater division. I'm starting to wonder if that's what you're going for there. You're like building a tropical rainforest in your cubicle, and then I won't be able to see or hear you because there's going to be like wildlife growing in there, living in there. Yeah, it's it's really it's taking well, on a life of its own. Be, truth be told, you youngins don't have anything to worry about. But Gene's talking about this uh, wanting to hit a hundred, so. I'm not getting any younger. So these plants are trying to oxygenate my little area here so oh. I can take advantage of any benefits I can. <laughs> well, they make uh, it, they make the office a you know, more um, homey place, so I appreciate that. Exactly. Um, oh, wait, before we dive in, I do have to tell you, I took a quick look at the Nielsen ratings for the first hour. Gene <laughs> um, may want to consider taking more time off. This is the highest rated first hour uh, of the show the entire year. So... <laughs> Just bank that one. Sorry, Gene. Um, we miss you, but, well, Nielsen ratings the, speak for themselves. Yeah, the numbers don't lie. All right, thank, yeah, <laughs> thank no, you for that. No. Sure. <laughs> That's great. Um, Mark, when I became a financial advisor, I spoke to my 
former personal financial advisor, whose name was also Mark, about oh. how I wished that the market were better in my first, you know, year with taking on new clients because it was tough for me, you know, to see, oh man, the value of your investments is already going down and we just started. And he said to me, you know, down markets give you a better opportunity to show your worth. He said, I actually like it when, <laughs> when I have that opportunity during a down market to show why I can, how I can better help my, my clients. And I think mm-hmm. that this piece that we received in the mail um, this week is pretty um, well related to that. So this is a a pamphlet we got, a booklet um, with the results of a study that Russell Investments did. It's the 10th annual study that they've done called The Value of an Advisor. And it tells us that there are four key uh, benefits an advisor provides and how it can increase your portfolio performance by a combined 5.12%. 5.12%. That's a pretty significant number. 5%. It's, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And so you hear that number and you're like, that's impossible. <laughs> but, you know, the whole first hour of the show, when we dive into one of the categories, the whole first hour of the show, you've given numerous examples of what that cost benefit is. So it's, it's a really fascinating study. Uh, Vanguard's done one for even longer, but Russell's done this for 10 years. This is easily the most comprehensive study that I've seen. Uh, next year will be my <clears throat> 30th year in the industry. How can that be? Um, You're only 35. <laughs> I know. It's just weird. It's, it's you know. Um, so when I read through this and, and I look at all the different categories and, and it talks about the evolution of a financial advisor, it's, you know, my career, it's been absolutely fascinating. Um, I mean, Gene's career is a little different because you need to talk about exchanging of, of acorns and stones and, uh, you know, maybe swapping a wheel for a wagon, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. But um, for, for my career, it's when I first started, it was just, it was really all about investments. Wow. And how, how well can you do for me? Um, it was trying to achieve a rate of return based on goals and objectives. And it was just, it was just that one silo. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now, literally, who, who, everyone listening to the show, go back and listen to the entire first hour. And, and we're going to tap into every single category of where our responsibilities lie and, and how we can help our clients. Uh, you, you've talked about all of them in, in the first hour. And, it's also what differentiates us from a lot of other advisors out there is that we've, we've made the choice to, and, and our clients that are listening and people that have come to talk to us who are listening, well, here's some of the things that we talk about, about the value that we bring to the table. And we've made the conscious decision to, to form a team that addresses every single one of these topics. And not a lot of advisors do that. They either have to farm out the tax piece or form out the investments piece or not the investment, the um, uh, insurance piece or the long-term care piece or uh, the legal piece. And we do a lot of that in-house and it it really differentiates us, um, makes us very different from everybody else. And and over the 30 years that I've been doing this, um, it's kind of nice to be able to just build a team around the specific needs and the evolving needs we'll learn of the client. Yes. Yes. No, that's very well said. 
Um, I feel blessed that we have all of those resources available to us on behalf of our clients as well. So that's what's cool about this study is it does touch on that kind of stuff. It's not all about, you know, picking which mutual funds or which ETFs or stocks. It's It taps mm-hmm. into all those other ways that we can support. So the four things, um, the four main examples that it, it, it brings up as benefits are um, mm-hmm. active rebalancing, behavioral coaching, customization and family involvement, and tax smart planning. So um, as you and I discussed this week, we thought, hey, this is pretty fascinating. Let's talk about each of those a little bit and explain why um, having an advisor helps you in those three areas. So we'll start with the active portfolio rebalancing. And this one, out of that 5.12%, um, it, it attributes this one for only 27, 27 basis points of a benefit. But um, let's talk about what happens when you don't have an advisor who's actively rebalancing your portfolio and you kind of leave your accounts unwatched or unmanaged, because I don't know about you, but a lot of the people who come in to meet with me for the first time, they'll bring a statement and they'll be like, yeah, I, you know, I don't really know what's going on in this account. I haven't touched it. It's been like this and I haven't touched it in years. Um, I think that happens actually quite a lot. So can you explain to people what are the implications, particularly on their, their risk and their volatility when you don't rebalance? Sure. There, there's two, um, uh, I, I guess, age-old sayings uh, that used to be relevant but aren't aren't so these days. Uh, the first is to set it and forget it, mm-hmm. and um, the the second one is uh, really revolving around the fact of just buy and hold, mm-hmm. right? If you buy good quality, whatever stock fund, um, and just hold on to it, it will inevitably come back and that's that rolls into the set and forget it piece and and that's not always the case these days um you look at a company like uh, gm ge uh these were uh, in everybody's portfolio uh 20 30 40 years ago and the the dip that these companies have taken um it, that's a it, it impacts the financial uh, circumstances for our clients pretty tremendously. So uh, being aware of the times, mm-hmm. rebalancing into areas that um, um, may be able to offset a little bit of risk. Uh, these are things that is set it and forget it may not take into consideration. So the study gives a pretty fascinating example. Um Taking a hypothetical balanced portfolio of 60% equities and 40% bonds, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fairly standard moderate portfolio. Yep. Uh, if you took a look at this allocation back in January of 2009, if you did not actively rebalance this portfolio, and to talk about rebalancing, it's, it's I gave the example of 60% equity, 40% bonds. Well, as the equities rise, maybe you pair a little bit back, reallocate it into the fixed income side and still try to maintain that 60-40 allocation. That's rebalancing, mm-hmm. right? You're sticking to uh, what you're comfortable with from an investment objective standpoint. Um, if you weren't to rebalance that portfolio by the end of 2022, your allocation would have grown to 82% equities, 18% fixed income. 
That's quite a shift. Pretty dramatic. Yeah. So here's where we really get into some trouble. Differentiating on the equity side between growth and value, growth typically has higher rates of return, but also (laughs) you get a greater degree of risk with that likelihood of a higher average annual return. Value on the other side uh, tends to be a little bit more conservative, a little more stable, but the expectations for average annual returns are lower. If we take a look at the overweight that you would have in growth stocks in this example, your initial allocation of about 15% in growth stocks would have grown to 35%. Wow. Right? Yeah. So people may be thinking, well, this is awesome. (laughs) I've got more in growth, and this growth is going to carry me, and that's going to provide me with even higher rates of return. Not necessarily the case. If we take a look at last year, Uh, Last year, the Russell 1000 growth index lost more than 29%. And the Russell 1000 value index only lost about seven and a half. Mm -hmm. So not rebalancing is having a greater impact on volatility and loss of uh, potential loss of principle because we never know what lies ahead. That's That's the importance of diversification and rebalancing is you want to prepare yourself, put yourself in the highest probable scenario for success. And you're kind of doing that through feel and listening to your client of what's important to them and their emotions and, and um, comfort level with the market. But there's also a statistical uh, piece there. Um, you know, early in my career, um, worked for a gentleman who uh, described investing as an art and a science. The art is the behavioral piece. It's it's how I feel about what's going on today. It's it's kind of the emotions that are tied with uh, with investing, and, and inevitably, uh, I've always said emotions is what drives volatility. The science piece that's the more statistical end of things, right? If you have more in growth, growth typically uh, exhibits higher volatility. Higher volatility means more risk. More risk ultimately translates into more anxiety. So it's a very delicate balance, and that's why it's not just, well, how do you feel about what the market's doing today? We need to rely a little bit more on the statistics of things. That's, that's this example. So when you boil down to that 0.27%, rebalancing doesn't necessarily impact the return standpoint as greatly, it impacts the risk standpoint. And that's a factor that it's real hard for the do-it-yourselfers to um, kind of come to grips with because it's it, when you're doing it yourself, there's a lot of emotion that's involved. This is actually a little bit of a segue into the next piece, but um, it, it's real hard to take the emotions out of things and, and it's hard to quantify what being in one investment versus another, or, hey, you know, this stock has done really, really well for me. I want to let it go. It's going to come back. You don't know. Mm-hmm. And so that statistical, the science piece, the quantifiable piece, that's where diversification and rebalancing comes into play, right? Yes. Um, so active rebalancing, um, piece number one, about 0.27%. This study is saying, 
uh, approximately what an advisor can add to the mix. Excellent. All right. So, yeah, keep that in mind, that growth component growing over time unchecked. You might like the returns most of the time, but you might not like the level of risk you're at when you're, in this case, right, 13 years later, like, or 14 years later, like, oh, darn, uh, now I'm way more susceptible to changes in the market and I'm closer to retirement and that's scary. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So behavioral coaching, um, you just touched on this. Um, that, that was a component, actually the one that they gave the biggest influence to mm-hmm. 2.54%. Um, tell our listeners, how do you address people's fears when they want to go to cash during tough times in the market? Cause this is talking about that whole discipline of when you stay invested, your overall return over the long term is going to be much better because you're not missing the best days in the market. Um, so how do you handle that, that piece? with your clients. Yeah. And again, this is what's, what makes the study really fascinating for me, at least Um, you've had the benefit uh, through your entire financial advisory career Hmm. uh, to have a lot more tools than, than I did back in the day. Right. Traditionally Mm -hmm. uh, over the last uh, number of decades, there were really a couple key uh, core categories. It was stocks, bonds, cash, right? Mm-hmm. You could start to look at some more peripheral investments, but uh, those are the three basic categories. And stocks were predominantly uh, there to drive growth returns. They were there to help you outpace inflation. Uh, they were there to help you get your assets to a point where you can achieve whatever goals and objectives you have. Bonds, on the other hand, uh, were there to help mitigate risk. Traditionally, bonds are more passive investment. They don't see a lot of volatility. Uh, They generate a a fairly consistent stream of income. And cash is very risk-averse. Typically doesn't generate a lot of income, but it's safe. And so this thought process had always been tried and true. Yep. And then we had 2022. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and so last year you had the stock market down with the S and P was down about 19%. I think the NASDAQ was down in the thirties mm-hmm. uh, and, and bonds were down anywhere from five to 10%. So then maybe I'll sit in cash. Okay. Well, you'll earn nothing. And with inflation at 7 to 9%, what's the real value of that dollar? So it became more and more challenging to find safe places to be, or maybe not safe places to be, but places that could help offset that risk component. When you have all this in the mix, that's what stirs up emotions. Yeah. And as I explained before, and as I often explain to my clients, Long-term returns, long-term returns, in my opinion, are driven by the fundamentals in the market. Volatility is typically driven by emotions and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And last year, there was a lot of it. So yes. the market was all over the place. Yes. Where advisors step in is to help take a non-emotional approach to investing. And so this study gives a pretty uh, – a pretty – Uh, great example of how emotions can take a play on on returns. And it it takes a look at uh, the pandemic. 
right? Mm -hmm. January 2020 through December of 2022. So not only did you have the pandemic, but uh, you also had last year involved. And a lot of times uh, I had clients ask, not a lot of times, but I I had clients ask that same question February, March of 2020 of, I want to go to cash. I'm I'm terrified. Uh, You know, I just want to be safe and I I just want to pull everything out of the market. So here's the study. If you started with $100 in January of 2020, what would it have done by the end of 2022? And it gives three separate examples. The first example is, had you remained in the market, you'd have experienced the dips in first and second quarter of 2020, but you also would have experienced the rally uh, throughout the rest of the year into 2021. At the end of that time period, your $100 would have grown to $112, so a 12% return. Mm -hmm. The second scenario, which I, I saw quite frequently, is investors who decided to move to cash in 2020 and then get back in a couple months later at the end of the second quarter. So you're able to realize a little bit of the growth, but you lost a little bit of the opportunity. And that $100 would have actually fallen, and you would have ended up with only $90 at the end of the day. The third example is what if an investment moved to cash March of 2020 and just stayed in cash the entire year and got back in in the beginning of 2021? Mm -hmm. So you would have missed the upside in 2020, and you would have had a back-and-forth year in 21, and then you would have endured last year. Your $100 would have actually dropped to $80. Yeah. So – The reason why I find this particular component incredibly fascinating is we began to take a look outside of the box in investments that help offset risk creatively. Yes. Uh, Whether it's buffered ETFs or structured notes, you and Gina have been talking about this, I feel like, every weekend. Yes. And that's given us an opportunity to take a step outside of the traditional box and address the specific fears and anxiety of our clients Yes, because these buffered ETFs and the structured notes are designed specifically to provide downside protection. Yes. And the neat thing about them is that they're customizable. So you can, you can adjust or you can pick the, the particular investment that addresses that client's specific concerns. So I have to we have to go to our break, unfortunately. Um, There's we could talk about this for hours, I think. Um, But you got right. You know, you really covered a great example of what happens when you make those emotional decisions. And now that we have tools that help people um, kind of mitigate that. Right. Uh, And and stay disciplined. And um, that's one of the you saying the toolbox we have um, being with a financial advisor gives you access to those great tools. Um, yes. Thank you so Absolutely. much. You really dove into a lot of the details that I think are really important. After the break, I will catch up people on those last two points briefly that that study shares with us. So I want to thank you for calling and uh, enlightening sure. everybody. You have a wonderful rest of the weekend. You as well. Thank you, Mark. Take care. You too. Okay.
Dancing Queen, and I'm also your host this morning. This is Alyssa Young. Welcome back to More Than Money. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. I'm um, flying solo while Gene is with his family this weekend. Um, I have to apologize for needing to cut short our conversation with Mark Belsack in the last half hour. Uh, Mark and I were talking about the results of this Russell Investments um, value of an advisor study that enlightened us on how um, working with a financial advisor can help you in four particular ways and how in some they can give you better performance by more than 5%. So Mark dove into the detailed ones, and these were the two um, more technical topics, the active portfolio rebalancing and behavioral coaching. And, you know, he gave the numbers of an example of how staying in the market um, it helps your return. And we started to talk about how the, we've incorporated a lot of tools with downside protection that make it easier for people to do just that. So um, they're not as susceptible to the downturns and, and losses in value, and they're still in the market to participate in recoveries and upside. So um, those are two of the topics, and I just want to touch on the other two that we didn't have time for. Um, and thank you so much, Mark, for for joining me and, and our listeners to share that information this morning. Um, the other one was uh, generational planning. And it this just talks about involving your family members in your planning. Um, and and be, this is partly about just the customized experience and the personalized experience too, because you can um, really make sure you're catering to a particular family's needs. Every family's different. Uh, one question I answered earlier was a blended family, and they were talking about how do we make sure that our respective children get the inheritance we want them to get, things like that. Um, college planning and um, if, wanting to, to help um, a, a child buy a house and all of these things, um, caring for elderly parents, that stuff has financial implications, and when you work together with it as a team um, to make decisions uh, with your family and for your family, you can really get some great results. And I'm sorry that we didn't get to talk about that with Mark because I know from seeing what he does and the clients he, he works with that he has several clients whose families are involved. Uh, children will come with their parents and, and things like that, and they're um, – you know, working together on strategies that will accomplish their goals as a family unit. So um, Mark's a great example of an advisor who does that generational planning and uh, make sure everybody's needs and concerns are addressed. So uh, you can having a financial advisor as sort of your quarterback of your team to do that for you can really provide a lot of advantages. And then the other topic in this study was tax smart uh, planning, which I think is kind of one of the the obvious ones, honestly, we know the tax law is confusing. There are different tax rules um, from different types of accounts, and and people call us with questions about that all the time. So having people, especially at MTM, we always talk about how we have a tax department we can consult. Um, that is so invaluable to us as advisors and then especially, obviously, to our clients because some advisors aren't allowed to talk about taxes. But how do you really make a good plan if you can't talk about taxes, um, it's such a huge component of your investment, um, you know, model and returns and everything. So those were the four things that this study talks about. If you want a copy of this, there's actually um, 
a version that we're, we're allowed to share directly with you. So if you're interested in seeing this study, you can email me, alyssa at askmtm.com. Um, I'll make sure you get a copy of it if that's interesting to you. So again, thank you, Mark. And I hope that that information helps um, at least some of you to, to realize, hey, maybe, you know, maybe it's time for you to turn to somebody to help um, uh, so that you can take advantage of those opportunities. Um, 610-720-7900 is the number here. You still have some time to call if you have a question. I did receive an emailed question from one of our loyal listeners, Steve. Steve asks me, uh, my question regards I-bonds. Have not heard about them in a while. Is it still a good investment for those who may want a tad of diversity? Um, great question, Steve. The reason that people haven't been talking as much about I-bonds lately is because inflation is not as high as it was last year. So um, I-bonds have interest rates that are combined with a, it's a fixed rate and an inflation rate. And that's what determines the rate of interest that they'll pay. So last year, when inflation was at its peak, uh, the interest rate on I-bonds, I I think it was something like 9%. Um, It was a very high number for what is considered to be, you know, a safe government-backed investment. And so everyone was very excited about that number because that's a very high interest rate. Well, yes, we still have inflation, but it has tamed because the Fed has raised interest rates and you know, the the economic policy that has happened to try to combat those rising prices. And so now the bonds are paying a lower rate. And what happens when you buy I bonds and you're supposed to hold on to them? um, I guess it's three years. I have uh, my my memories about these are are rusty, you know, kind of faded now, too, because we haven't been talking about them as much. But I do know that they reset the rates every six months. So even when you if you bought one at that high rate entry level, you know, it's that's not the rate you're going to get the whole time you hold them. It was going to be adjusted every six months. So the current rate is 4.3%. I just looked that up. And those are that's the rate that applies to bonds issued between May 1st and October 31st. And then it does get adjusted every six months. So if inflation keeps going down, the interest rate you can get on an I-bond is going to go down Two. So that's why they haven't been uh, such a hot topic. Um, even when they were a hot topic and we were like, ooh, you can get you know such a high interest rate on these, the um, real the impact it could have on your overall plan is somewhat limited because you're restricted to only buying $10,000 per person per year. So it's not like it was going to have this huge monumental effect on your um, you know overall um, asset value. And I also want to thank you, Steve, for the adorable picture of your puppies that you included in your email. So when you email me questions, if you include a dog photo, you get brownie points. So thank you, Steve, for that. Um, okay. So I'm going to just recap a couple of things that we touched on earlier, because we've been talking about all kinds of good stuff and I have some more things I hope I have time to share with you too. Um, my email newsletter is out and the print one should be coming your way if you haven't gotten it already. If you don't get, inv- um, let's stay in sync, that's the name of my newsletter, and you want to, you can email me to request to be added to the subscriber list. Um, the When a Loved One Dies workshop is October 30th. There's a 3 o'clock and a 7 o'clock session. We are at capacity. We filled up in just one week. Um, I'm sorry to those of you who didn't register in time. But put your name on the waiting list because I'm asking if you did sign up and you can't come, please tell us so that we can give your seat to someone else. And then we do plan to offer it again in the future for the people who can't be there 
on the 30th. So get your name on that waiting list so you can kind of reserve your spot. And then once we have a date for that, it'll probably be like January, February, something like that. Um, we'll advertise it again and then you can sign up um, if you haven't already. I look forward to seeing you all there. And then um, our next Invest in You event will be the Holiday Hope Chests shoebox packing party. Um, stay tuned for details about that. They changed the program a little bit. It's, I think, a good change for us. It'll make it um, meaningful, and um, I'll, I'll announce details about that as they all come into uh, place. But if you would prefer a weeknight or a weekend, that's what I would like to know from you now. If you're one of the ladies who wants to come to that, what do you think works better for you? Let me know. Um, okay, I think I recapped everything I wanted to. You still have time to call if there's something on your mind. 610-720-7900. So I was talking about um, client strategies that um, I found interesting, things that I've had the opportunity to help people with um, over, you know, just these were all very recent examples just over the last few weeks. Um, so I've had a lot of good conversations with people. Um, this one is a retired couple clients of mine who are moving out of state to be closer to their daughter and grandchildren, and they need some cash to cover moving expenses and closing costs. So they are fortunate enough in this crazy housing market to find a house where they're going and to be able to sell their house here kind of simultaneously. Um, they, they found a house they want to move to before they put their own house on the market, but they already have an agreement in place for the sale of their home. So that works out great where they can pay for their new house with the uh, proceeds of selling their existing house. Um, but they do need some cash. So we have lots of different account types I manage for them, a brokerage account, IRAs, Roth IRAs, an inherited IRA, and an inherited Roth IRA. So you when you look at all of that, they all have, you know, different investments and then they all have different tax rules. So the question is, where do we get the money from to cover, you know, these moving expenses? And the goal, some of it might be able to be replenished after the move is over. But for now, we need, you know, we need to free up some cash. Where does it come from? So uh, we reviewed all of the options and looked at taxes. How can we have the lowest tax um, burden for whatever we sell and money we take out of accounts in order to cover this, and which holdings are best to liquidate, um, which ones um, don't have a loss that we would realize a loss. That, you know, there are some sometimes when you have investments that are depreciated right now, you don't want to sell them necessarily because you want to give that time to come back. Um, so. The good news is we had lots of options. I just listed all of their account types and lots of different types of investments. So that was a discussion that we had. We looked at the accounts. I made recommendations. They are agreed, and we have a plan. And so now it's, okay, yeah, the next step was connecting the account that we're going to take the money from into a different bank account to make everything, make everything really smooth. So we set that up. So when the time comes... Um, distributing the cash that they need is going to be super simple. So, um, you know, it was actually there was a couple of, of moving parts. We decided to use um, money market funds in the brokerage account along with um, speeding up some of the inherited IRA distributions that were already planned for the next couple of months. Um, instead of spreading them out monthly as a systematic withdrawal like we had been doing, we accelerated those, combined them into one 
um, distribution so that they got that lump sum of cash now instead of waiting till the end of the year. Um, so it worked out really well. And, you know, again, that's just an example of, hey, let's talk through this. So if you're a client of ours and you have a, you know, a little bit of a predicament or you're not sure what way, which way is the best way to go, talk to your advisor about it. That's what we're here for. Um, another example um, of a discussion I had last week on a quarterly review call that we did via Zoom is a client of mine who is return, retiring early because he's allowed to start his municipal pension the month he turns 55, which would be February. Um, so he didn't know which option to choose. There's a list of options. Um, and there's a list with a lump sum and without a lump sum. So uh, he was like, help me make a decision. I need to decide by you know February 1st, and I'm a little overwhelmed. I just want to know that I talked through this. So um, we ruled out a couple of them for you know specific reasons. And then um, I've done this for other clients, too, where I'm able to use our planning software to compare the outcomes of compare like one pension option to another. And in this case, we looked at if he took the single life pension or the joint life pension. And what that means is if you take the single life, the the, the man whose pension it is, he only receives that payment for as long as he lives. And that's a higher number. It's a larger monthly payment. And if he dies next year, the pension stops. He's married, and his wife is a couple years younger than him. So then we look at, well, if you take the one that's a joint life option, it will the pension payment will continue to your wife after you die if she outlives you. But it'll be a smaller amount that you get for your lifetime, and for her lifetime, it's going to be a smaller number. So this, again, just one of the examples among the pension options that there were. But those were the two we kind of narrowed it down to. And we used the planning software to prove that there was a negligible difference in the overall financial impact if he took the single life versus the joint life for this particular pension. Um, so then we discussed from there not just a dollars and cents factor, but a peace of mind factor. What makes you feel more comfortable knowing that if you die unexpectedly, your wife's still going to have an income stream? Or would you rather get a couple extra bucks every month during your lifetime and hope that you both live long, healthy lives? So the planning software helped us show that taking a small reduction in the benefit now um, is not going to hurt you. And as a matter of fact, will probably make you feel more comfortable that you know, your wife will be taken care of and have money to live on um, if something happens to you. So that was a, a good exercise that we went through to kind of help him um, think about what would make the most sense for both of them. Um, it's a very important decision. P people who have pension options often say, I, I don't know. Why are there so many choices? Which one do I pick? Talk to your advisor. Um, and sometimes you can use software. This is not the first, the first time I've done that where I've used software to show, hey, look, you know, you can go with joint. That little bit of difference is not going to be a bad thing. Um, and the last example of the specific um, strategies that I've been tackling over the last couple of weeks is using an inherited IRA to maximize retirement savings. So this one's interesting, too. We um, we talked a little earlier about how when you have an inherited IRA and you have to distribute the money within 10 years, right? Um, 
I have a couple who has a large amount of inherited money and they're still working for a little while. And um, so they're in a higher tax bracket and, you know, they, they could take a little bit out every year, the required distribution every year from the inherited IRA and then, you know, make sure that they empty it within 10 years and it's going to be additional taxable income. Well, what we're doing is for this year and then um, next year, as long as they're, they're both still working, which might not be too much longer, what we're going to do is maximize their 401k or 403b contributions. And for each of them, that's $30,000. They're allowed to contribute to those accounts per year right now. And that way, you know, their paychecks are going to be much smaller because they're going to be putting away a lot more into their 401k. But then the difference, uh, the amount they're putting into the 401k that they normally would have been getting paid and putting into the bank, we're going to get from the inherited IRA instead. So we're replacing their income uh, from their paychecks with their inherited IRA money so that their tax taxable income will be the same. They're just getting it from a different source. And it's allowing them to put money away into their own retirement accounts that will be there to grow tax-deferred forever instead of just for 10 years. So that's the difference. The inherited IRA money, you've got this 10-year window. Your own 401k can last you your lifetime. So we're shifting that. Um, and so we ha- we're we going to figure out, um, you know, it's different. The, the calculation is different for this year and next year because we don't have as much time this year. But um, how can they maximize um, the 401k contributions and use the inherited IRA to pr- replace their income and kind of kill two birds with one stone because then you're you're meeting their requirements for distributions from the inherited IRA, but you're not paying more tax. So um, that's another one that it's a little complicated. Uh, it's been a little bit tricky to figure out. It'll be easier next year when we have more time, but um, I, I'm blessed to be able to help them do that and um, take advantage of, of that opportunity. So those are the ones I wanted to share with you. I hope you find some piece uh, piece of useful information in there. Um, I also just want to go back to the call we had earlier about selling a car. Um, I'm not a tax expert, and like I said, I don't have a whole lot of experience with that. I just want to clarify one thing because, Diane, it is her real name. I will tell you it is her real name. She's listening, and um, she says when your car, your car is a personal asset, and when you sell it, there's no gain or loss to worry about for taxes. So um hope that simplifies that. Um, but to, to answer Will's question, it's still true that mom can give him the car and he can sell it. Um, there's, you know, it all depends on what your goals are. But anyway, I just wanted to clarify that there's no gain or loss to be taxed um, when selling a car. So I hope I didn't confuse any of you. Um, all right, we have a little more time. I want to answer another email. This one says, I'm 71 and I have a regular IRA worth about $380,000. Can I take money out of it and put it in a 529 plan for my two grandchildren without paying taxes? So that's part one. I'm going to stop there because there's a second question that's unrelated. Uh, no. <laughs> um, IRA distributions are taxable unless the money is going directly to a charity. Okay, so you can't avoid tax on the IRA distribution just because it's going into a 529 plan. Um, so, sorry. Uh, you can still use that money, though, to fund the 529 plan 
And that's great. Um, but you're not going to be able to avoid taxes by doing it. And then the second part of this question is, on one of your shows, I heard you say that RMDs are not required to be taken if you are still working. For 2022, I was advised to take RMDs by the financial companies where I had accounts. Was this a mistake? What about this year? Uh, Good question. So um, that rule applies to 401ks. If you're still working and you're contributing to a 401k, you do not have to take an RMD from the 401k um, because you're still working. If you have an IRA and you're still working, you still need to take RMDs from the IRA. That doesn't matter. But this person is 71. So this person doesn't need to take RMDs anyway. So I'm not sure why their financial companies were telling her to him or her to take an RMD at the age of 71, unless this person's turning 72 before the end of the year. But actually, even that wouldn't apply now because 73 is the RMD age effective this year. So they're kind of mixing up some rules here. Um, the other uh, rule I'll mention is if you have a simple IRA and you're still working, um, you don't have to take RMDs from that while you're still working unless you are a more than 50% owner of the company that's sponsoring the simple IRA. So if it's you're an employee who's 74 and you're contributing to a simple, you don't need to take RMDs. If you're an owner, you do. So um, let's see. We only have a couple of minutes left. Um I'm going to share one really quick tidbit. Uh, in a, it was a Forbes article um, that I saw that caught my eye this week, so I wrote it down to share with you while we were together this morning. Um, debt is like fat. 42% of Americans are obese. It's easy to gain weight, and it's tough to lose weight. Same is with true with debt. It's easy to build up debt, and it's hard to get out of it. Just like losing weight, you need to change your routine and change your activities to make meaningful progress to lose it. You have to do that with debt, too. You can't make the minimum payments on your credit card and expect that to go away. So keep that little uh, analogy in mind. I thought that was a good one. Debt is like fat. Um, So try to avoid both of those things if you can. That's a good rule to live by. Um, all right, so we'll recap a couple of housekeeping items before it's time to go. How much time do we have, John? Two minutes. Okay. Um, you know that we offer second opinion meetings at MTM Financial Group, so I want to explain to you how that works. You can call or email us and make an appointment to meet with an advisor or one of our specialists. So you can have a meeting with a social security and Medicare specialist, an estate planning attorney, a life insurance specialist, a reverse mortgage consultant. You can have your tax returns handled by our tax team, or you can come to us and talk about your financial situation, your goals, your retirement plan, your retirement income. So we cover lots of things all under one roof and, um, We're blessed to have all of those resources available together with our team. So if you want to take advantage of that, that meeting is free. There's no cost, no obligation. Come in, bring your questions, bring your information, and we will be happy to sit down and talk about your very specific circumstances. This isn't just a general um, overview. It's uh, very specific to you. So um, please call us. Our office phone number where you can make that appointment is 610 746 
7007. I want to thank you for spending the last two hours with me, even though Gene wasn't here. He'll be back next week, so don't cry. Um, catch us online at morethemoneyonline.com. And I look forward to being back here with you next Saturday. Have a blessed weekend. Thank you.